Hi and welcome everyone to the I have a dream podcast where host Rajan Navani initiates candid conversations with industry leaders and experts to explore their aspirations for India as we enter a golden period. Rajan is the national chairman of CII's Council on Future Businesses, India at 75 and the Artificial Intelligence Task Force and chairman, managing director and CEO of Jet Synthesis. Today's episode features Karan Bajaj, founder of White Hat Junior, where he talks about India's edtech space in the next 25 years. To find out more, stay tuned. A very good morning to everyone joining us uh, in India and for those who are logging in from the US a very good evening to you we have with us uh, you know as a part of a fireside chat or i have a dream for india uh, you know someone who is very very accomplished in more ways than one you know karan bajaj was not only the founder of white hat junior which was probably one of the fastest exits for a company in india He's also an author, novelist, thinker, striving yogi. Just too many kind of attributes to you, Karan. So, looking forward to a to a very interesting conversation today. You know, so India seventy five has actually been a an initiative that CII launched way back in you know two thousand seven when India was celebrating India at sixty. And I think over the last you know decade and a half, you know, we've seen how India has. made progress achieved significant change in many aspects you know of what our country represents and while we will talk about you know all what we have been able to achieve uh, in, in these last 15 years particularly or maybe over 75 years as well i think i'd like to see how our focus today is around you know where we can be as india marches uh, towards uh, india at hand this year is being celebrated uh, as the azadi ka amrut mahotsav and we really want to use this to not only recognize what we have done but also see what we can do uh, to quickly accelerate and i think some of the things current that you have you know embarked and launched are are really the ones that things that can drive you know our country you know forward in more ways than one i mean education universal literacy uh, you know building capability uh, and skills in, in in the power of a large young population like india are definitely drivers for what will enable us you know to achieve a position of global leadership in any case but you know the fact that it's been technologically led in amongst many of the new age businesses we often talk that while we might have been followers as a country in many of the other uh, areas at least in edutech i think we are global leaders and you know you played a large role in in in, in shaping that that narrative and so really let's let let's start with with really that you know that that same question right we are in india we are here in our 75th year you know we are recognized globally as the technology uh, leaders whether it's you know both in terms of leadership as uh, from management but more importantly as engineers talent you know how do you really you know see india leveraging this entire technology burst right particularly in education and make this paradigm shift over the next you know uh, 25 years of course there will be a lot of you know stepping stones as we get there but just you know your opening thoughts around just this use of technology because one of the things we always said in india at 75 that india's economic strength moral leadership will be derived from our technological right you know and, and you truly represent you know one of those things driven in a very important sector for india so 
maybe we'll start with that and then make this a free flowing conversation and capture your dreams for india as you yeah no a pleasure to be here thank you i think uh, great admiration for the organization as well as your uh, bold vision and what you've accomplished so far so i'm i'm really grateful to be here uh, to un- to really kick off this conversation right i think you've uh, uh, like uh, put the first question as the uh, it, it's exactly the right question which is what role will technology play in education and as a result of that what role will education because of the advantage of technology play in the future of the country i think the number one advantage that technology has given us as education entrepreneurs is personalization so if there was a format of education that we knew before technology that's the format of education we all grew up in uh, it was all about mass learning so there would be one curriculum uh, delivered by one teacher in a school setting in a particular classroom setting of 30 to 40 kids or maybe 50 60 kids depending on the school you are in and everybody would get the same uh, curriculum delivered to them and they would pretty much have the same outputs because the input was the same i think the power of technology and different people have taken different formats to uh, leverage it for example byju's does the asynchronous learning very well which means that they have uh, they've created content and then they have built in lot of personalization around gamification etc that allows every kid to consume the content based on where they are in their own learning journey and when we look at the whitehead junior kind of model it's built on the live classroom where one teacher is connected to one student all of these are different models that are attacking the same problem of how do you make education extremely personalized to a particular kid's potential and if you can think of a future where um this kind of education becomes accessible to every kid then you are really creating a generation which is learning based on their own unique potential their customized needs and they are flourishing because they have uh, like they've been met there versus being left uh, you know like either under challenged or over challenged by an education system that was meant for mass learning and which kind of regresses to the average all the time right so i think that's the power of what uh, technology can bring and as a result can change the nation because it allows the personalization of education now i think that's a very very powerful thought and if you just take that one single you know attribute right of personalization empowering the individual you know in, in a country like india i think we can really truly unleash and unlock you know the potential but was this the the thought process kind when you started whitehead junior because whitehead junior you also code people, you know you also enable people to to become you know uh, you know the source of further technology growth right so yeah, what were the thoughts and and what got you to start whitehead junior uh, when when you actually got started tell us a little bit about the journey yeah absolutely the origination point i think uh, very similar to some of the work that you've been doing um, the original idea of whitehead junior was that kids should be builders and creators that should be their destiny because there's some very fascinating research on how kids actually peak in creativity at age 5 and then subsequently every decade after their creative potential keeps going down in half so if you take a sample set of kids they actually test among the general population they'll test in the top 95th percentile of creativity and at age 5 by the time the same kids hit age 35 there's a very good longitudinal research done by a nasa professor they actually test in the bottom 2% of creativity so what happens is that as more and more rules and systems enter kids lives through schools and mass learning they start to lose the kind of the creative potential that uh, like you know that they inherently possess so the idea of whitehead junior was that kids would build and create and that's would be their destiny forever 
and coding was the best way for me to actually deliver that as the first step so the first step was coding and kids would code and in coding they would build games and apps and they would get this feeling that look if i can code an app i can create anything in this world right and that i think would uh, that the idea was that that would be their destiny forever then that they'd be uh, that they define themselves as builders and creators and some of them would pursue entrepreneurship or pursue technology fields and some of them would pursue artistic fields but that inner confidence that i'm a builder would uh, would be the kind of the core thesis of white junior and i always had the vision that it would go from coding to music to arts and we and if all of education technology at that point of time was focused on the left brain kind of preparing for iit je etc i wanted to kind of like do the creative side you know and and that's what the the core idea of white junior was and part of that was that uh, we chose curriculum like coding music arts Uh, which was on the right brain side and then also the one on one teacher was very important which was the other core thesis of white junior because uh, the the presence of a one on one teacher allows you to kind of like you know uh, uh, to she she or the teacher really enables you to leverage your creative potential in the best way possible because of the feedback loop and the reward and the recognition that comes with doing the creative project that you can't get on a like on on doing it on your own so i think that combination that was the core vision behind it and i think again like very similar to your kind of thesis i thought of an india where uh, like uh, more and more creators would be born and that would be a very powerful india no you know you you raise a very interesting point because one of the things you know we are also uh, through our group company jet synthesis right creating games and you know doing a lot around the the product app innovation space and what we really find is that the capabilities that we create in india are around creative engineering talent you know that that product design right or the or the you know the product final creating the great product out of india right is yeah. is still a, is, is a dream that we believe can get unlocked at scale over the next you know decade decade and a half right did you ever think about you know that piece of the you know to complete this entire you know success oriented career oriented product life cycle kind of things uh, when you've been looking at education especially starting out early yeah absolutely because i think the that as i said the core thesis was always that uh, when kids build and create we are entering a real paradigm shift in the world where any job or any profile which requires routine tasks is going to be automated right uh, technology is moving so fast that everything that requires routine ordered tasks is going to get automated and the currency of the world will become what are you building and creating uh, in in our generation you could get away by doing mechanized tasks well but in the next generation once they come out of college or 12th grade their currency will be what they are building and creating because everything that's routine and ordered will be mechanized and automated very well by then so i felt that that would be the imperative of the generation and yet our school pedagogy etc is completely unchanged versus the time we were growing up so when we were growing up we had the same pedagogy that the generation is facing now yet the imperative of the generation has changed while our generation would have done very well with the uh, doing well in routine tasks here the whole currency will be what can you create and build so that's why as you rightly said the us etc where they are actually creating cutting edge products that's also a product of their education system which allowed abstract thinking where social sciences etc were as important a part as mathematics and science while we were obviously very very ordered around the left brain kind of development and i think that's why i felt like the new generation would need 
the right brain development to be equal. And the future of the world will be people who stand at the center of the right and the left brain. That's why I chose coding as the first subject because, again, it's right at the center of the left and the right brain. You use logic and then you use logic to kind of, you know, create and build things. Similarly, music, which we did next, and like it was all built around the same thesis that the people sent, standing at the center of the left and the right brain will um, will be the kind of the drivers of the world going forward. I think if that's a very, very, very interesting way to look at, you know, where the future of of yeah. work, and, you know, because we keep debating, like what you rightly said, with AI and so much technology, you know, what is the future of work going to look like, both from, you know, timing, but also kind of things. So I think that's a, that's a great point. But, you know, again, to become a successful job creator, right, we need successful entrepreneurs. And and we all know what, what that takes, right? It, it takes a lot. So as, you know, the creators start looking at the entrepreneurship opportunities and, you know, in India today, when you're talking to young people, you know, earlier parents used to encourage their kids to go get a secure job. That generational shift has also happened, you know, with so much technology, internet and new ideas, solving problems. You know, you've been a, uh, an outstanding entrepreneur, but I'm sure you've had uh, so many, you know, challenges, failures, you know, what's your message to budding entrepreneurs who really want to, you know, current build businesses at scale, right? I think from a country like India, you know, we are able to, to come to some level, you know, we can build, but we really want to unlock our true potential, right? And and, and lead the world, right? Even today in the top 100 companies in the world, we might have two companies from it, right? Given that we are such a large economy, we are the future, we need to have 20 or 30 of the companies, you know, in, by India at 100 actually being from India in the top 100 companies of the world. So what will you know, that thing, right? So the entrepreneurship journey to succeed and then to scale. Yeah, no, very, very good question. I think there are two, I would say the, my message or advice would be in two parts. One is for a, for a person who's not yet become an entrepreneur, but who has dreams of entrepreneurship. I think if I look at my own journey, the surprising thing is that the dots connected in very, I would say, unusual ways. So I would say my first endeavor was that I had left my job to write a novel. And like then subsequently, I wrote multiple novels, right? Uh, I think the the moment you create your first thing. So in 2008, when I wrote my first novel, uh, right, I was like in a pretty much a regular job with Procter Gamble in the US. The act of creating something for the first time really opens up a completely new chapter in your life because everything that you know in your life, you are converging into, for example, writing your first novel. And then you feel that, look, your creative well is dry and you look at more creative experiences. And so after that, I started to travel more and like took more years off from my job to like learn yoga, etc. Because I was always looking to fill my creative well. Then I would write again, empty my creative well, keep filling my creative well again and again with more and more diverse experiences in life. All of that really came to fore in Whitehead Junior. For example, the idea that kids should be builders and creators very linked to my writing life. The fact that I launched uh, in the US very early. In 2019, when I was doing Whitehead Junior, the paradigm was that you would perfect your product in India over many years. Then you would have the confidence that you can attack international markets. But since I'd spent my, I would say, formative years backpacking and traveling, I was very confident that people all over the world are more similar than dissimilar. And I launched Whitehead Junior in the US almost one year into the, only one year into the company. And the product did phenomenally well in the US. And that was obviously probably one of the things that led to the acquisition as well, because it was one of the first models that had cracked international shores. So I think the idea that you should build and create something very early of your own 
and that could be a book a youtube channel a blog even if it's not something as significant as starting your own company that opens up a chapter in your life in which you'll just fill your life with new and new experiences and that eventually will lead you to like you know form your own company in a very uh, robust way because like you you've entered the creation stream if you will for entrepreneurs out of india who are already kind of on the entrepreneurship journey i think we should remember that uh like i had the benefit of like again living outside the country backpacking a lot and traveling a lot as a part of my creative journey but uh, for those who haven't i would say people all over the world are more similar than dissimilar so i think indian product should have a global thesis right from the start uh, today if uh, the white junior model for example under bejus is operating in uh, india us brazil mexico australia uk and it's doing equally well in all these markets i think if i'm not wrong when i last looked at the data 30% of our revenue came from india and 70% came from outside india so the fact that uh, uh, like indian products can go global that's just the confidence that every entrepreneur should have that people are more similar than dissimilar you don't need to go through the journey that we always believe that you should perfect the product in india over many years and then go outside india because truly speaking uh, technology moves so fast that you don't have that luxury of waiting 7 8 years somebody else will do the same idea somewhere else and uh, beat you to market right so i think indian entrepreneur should have the confidence that their product can go outside india and that's how whoever captures the value stream of innovation whichever country captures the value stream of innovation will win in the long term right so whoever innovates first will win in the long term so i think uh, more and more models should be more international in nature rather than just indian in nature you raised a very different uh, point you know as you were talking about your entrepreneurship journey yeah. you know of like filling your creative well and then emptying it right i mean of course i'm sure this stems from you know you you are striving yogi it comes from some core indianness that we can also give to the world as we move towards india at 100 you know how to build your own capability in a manner that you know because the west is taking all of that learning which was you know over centuries you know available in india you know so you are some one of the few entrepreneurs probably who has tapped into that early you know and and and, and seeing how that can get unlocked right and and sometimes we find a lot of you know western entrepreneurs western you know people in general right or global people using indian knowledge and, and doing so well and succeeding whereas a lot of us in india you know we kind of tend to ignore it because there's just like too much spirituality around us there are temples every nook and corner maybe we get a little you know what do you call you know immune to that or we don't take that as 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 well so was this always a part of of your life journey it evolved in some shape and how much importance you you know give to that right i mean you you talk of a career which you know you also empty the creative which i found pretty interesting you you know because sometimes to add new things you got to empty it but most right. people will go on aggregating and you know adding on so some of your thoughts around these subjects right that will be yeah no so i two parts i think the question on emptying the creative well i think that's what i was saying that uh, once you start doing a creative project right so for me the first novel i emptied everything that always happens when you do a creative project even if you do a startup you take all of your life's learning and you put it into the project and the moment that project is over you realize that uh, you know you're pretty much dry and if you do another creative project you're going to use like exactly uh, you're going to keep repeating what you've already done so you kind of fill your life you're almost compelled to fill your life with more experiences more adventures to uh, create something new again so i think that's the power of always doing something uh, like to build something that you will always keep uh having the urge to replenish the creative well and live a very like i would say uh 
experience will life so i think that's one part which that's why i highly encourage everybody to do something which in which they are creating something right it could be a blog a youtube channel a book anything that like uh, allows you to put all of your life's work into one direction the second part though i think is very interesting i uh, from my job i taken one full year off to do yoga and meditation uh, which was a very unusual move at that time i was uh, in my early 30s or probably mid 30s and like everybody was saying you know get married have kids and all but i had taken i had taken off from my job and um, spent a year in an ashram in india i'd lived in the sivananda ashram and then gone up to the himalayas to learn meditation very formative for me the the reason for why i did that was uh, actually in some ways more personal because my mom had passed away from cancer very early i'd always been pulled to eastern spirituality but uh, Uh, but i think my kind of meaning of life question so i was very into nirvana moksha how does this whole uh, ecosystem work and like i really wanted to experience it first and so that's the reason i did it i didn't achieve any of that what i set out to achieve but i think the i think the, the one of the best things that happened in my life for that year in which i learned yoga and meditation because a couple of things happened right first is just the act of living in an ashram in india alone uh, or in in very bare circumstances right uh, there are 50 60 people living in a dorm room like you're just practicing yoga asanas every day i think what i learned from that phase was a lot of like this idea of willful poverty which stoicism has the idea that look uh, you need very little to survive right uh, like i i spent a year there in an ashram with nothing and i was very fulfilled right so i think that really liberated me afterwards to take very big risks in my life because i always felt look i have nothing to lose if uh, if i lose everything i'm still fine right that's what i learned in living in an ashram for a year and then obviously uh, like like the act of doing yoga and meditation really kind of simplifies your life really i like my diet my energy level so i i started right at university when i was 40 years old and um everybody in the tech world at that time was 25 26 all the developers coders etc that i would hire and nobody could keep up with my energy which is actually a very under under talked about point right when you are like uh, starting a company the founder's energy drives the energy of the organization i think the gift of yoga and meditation for me was so much energy that uh, like you know people always found it hard to cope up with me no matter their age and i think that really drove the speed of the organization which i think is uh, like you know was another kind of hidden benefit of that period yeah so i again highly recommend doing this uh, like you know inculcating this like indian spiritual discipline as a part of your life now it's interesting you say this because i had a similar experience even my mom passed away of cancer drew me more to you know things like yoga meditation and, and what you rightly said the energy levels really changed significantly you know but i think the one place where you know what group that differently right particularly is when you you know you you you're looking at your career in in phases right write a book create a company go back to writing a book take a year off you know that approach you know so historically if we ever looked in india right we said you know you have a career for a lifetime you know, people used to get into one job government right. job and hope to you know to see and derive their livelihood there you know today we talk of a lifetime of careers right i mean maybe that's a switch but even then people look like okay how do i move you know enhance my livelihood earning capability move up the value chain and things like that right but what you're suggesting is taking breaks looking at different things Do you believe that that's the best way to really build better capacity? I mean, even as a country, right? Is is that so? There's a there's a new education policy, as you know. So education will go in one way, 
But you know, education can only take you that far, and then it comes to choices that you make, right? Whether it is where you specialize, how do you do things, you know, like the realization that you said you need very little, you know, enables people to take more risk. But most parents, and you know, when they're looking at young kids, will tell them, you know, don't take too much risk. You know, how does all of that that shape up? And do you recommend that, or is it? Only suited for some type of people would love to understand. No, I think my if I look at my last twenty years, I've concluded two or three things very, very strongly, uh, which I think I hold very firmly because I've had a bit of a a lot of data points now, right? If it was just one move that look I did a startup, it worked out, then that would be too restricted a data point. But I, if I look at multiple data points of like novels that have been successful, some that have not been successful, like uh, starting successful. Uh, like the discovery stint where i was the ceo of discovery and did a lot of things there uh if i look at all of the data points i've seen two or three things emerge one is that uh, personal growth always leads to professional growth so it it might uh link to that point though is that uh systems are very inefficient in the short term but extremely efficient in the long term so when you take a move of personal growth for example when i first left my job in 2008 to backpack for 6 months i i backpacked in south america eastern europe brazil peru etc across the amazon etc it was a move of personal growth and uh, in the short term when i came back from the sabbatical if you will i came back at the time and lehman brothers had collapsed in the us there were no jobs i had a pretty tough time reentering the job market similarly when i did yoga and meditation etc there was like some you know struggle with reentering the market but what i saw over a long period of time was that when i made these moves of incredible personal growth whether that was taking my first sabbatical to travel then taking another sabbatical to learn yoga and meditation then taking another sabbatical to become a full time writer i saw that uh, eventually that led to a lot of professional growth because i grew so much in that period that uh, that one year of learning yoga and meditation for example was worth 5 6 years of doing the same thing in my job and when i came back to my job i was more centered better and and even if i took one step back i would leap forward four five steps and uh, and like you know like for example like you know discovery when they were looking for a ceo in india i became the ceo very young in india because i had a, a mix of like the creative with my novels and my business career and they were looking for somebody who had that left right balance right so professional growth always follows personal growth so when you take extraordinarily personal growth moves they'll always lead to professional growth but link to that point is that it doesn't happen in the short term right life is uh, a bit unforgiving in the short term but very forgiving in the long term so if you take a longer term view i think those will always help and that's why as they say right like doing uh, are you really working 7 years or are you doing the same thing uh, that you're doing over one year for seven seven times in a row and if you're like actually taking these moves where you're uh, like doing this uh, like new things which are really uh, pushing your growth envelope then you'll always win in the long term and that's my firm conclusion after like you know a lot of data points over the long period so now i always make decisions of growth you know never make decisions of fear uh, for that reason powerful powerful words and, and and right now you're in costa rica and you're kind of encouraging your next gen to to also Kind of grow differently. Tell us a little bit about what, where you are and what you're doing right now. Yeah, right now it's night time, like midnight in Costa Rica. So I, um, after like the White Hat Junior exit and kind of transitioning with Bajus over a year, I uh, had an endpoint. So I I decided to take this year in Costa Rica to again uh, grow in different dimensions. I wanted to uh, take mountaineering very seriously. I've been hiking, so now I wanted to do mountaineering much more seriously than I. had done my yoga teacher training i wanted to do my advanced yoga teacher training i'd written i'd i'd not written non fiction before so i wanted to 
pursue these interests for a year before I uh, like came back into the world again, if you will. So I kind of decided to step out and go to Costa Rica. And uh, yeah, and my kids are also in the in a in a school in the mountains in uh, in like a remote place in Costa Rica because I wanted to like I wanted them to experience a kind of education and wanted to see that myself very closely also uh, like a like a much more like a creative education in the public school uh, bilingual education so so yeah so that's what I'm doing right now for this year before I re-enter in some form of public service back in India. No, I'm pursuing this model of, you know, taking a break, going out, coming back, because it's, it's very unique, right? And, you know, especially when you have success attached to it. But does it also compromise? I mean, did you exit Whitehead Junior because you were now looking for your next thing? Or would you have scaled Whitehead Junior beyond the point? So it, was that decision, interestingly, also taken because you were looking at something like that? Uh, you see, um, you should know yourself very well, right? So I think uh, even the Whitehead Junior exit, uh, like it's always a hard decision. I tip, I usually believe that uh, people overthink decisions uh, while uh, what I've seen is that most decisions in life are two-way doors. So 90% of decisions that I've made are two-way doors, right? Where if the decision doesn't work out, you can always go back. So for example, I made a decision in 2015 of becoming a full-time writer in New York. It didn't work out. But it was a two-way decision in the sense that I could turn back, right? And I re-entered the corporate world and became the head of discovery in India. So most decisions are two-way doors. When you exit a startup, though, that's a one-way door. Because once you sell your company, there is no going back. So those decisions you really ruminate over. And when I was selling Whitehead Junior, it was a like a like a very thoughtful decision for me. And overall, I think it's very important for an entrepreneur to know themselves well. I think... Uh, when you exit a startup, you have to think of two things, right? One, in a startup, it's very hard to be in a position where the acquirer, the acquired and the investors all are happy. Uh, typically, you'll find one of these parties very unhappy. In our case, Whitehead Junior in very quick timing had uh, like grown to a revenue of $100 million plus. So when Bejus uh, acquired it for $300 million, it was a good deal for Bejus because it was at a very low multiple compared to what Indian companies are acquired at. Uh, I had diluted very little in the company because I'd grown with very little capital with, through very strong discipline. So again, uh, it was a win for the like the stakeholders of the company. And the investors had gotten a 50x return on the investment in barely a, a year, which again was a very significant move. So when you've got that trifecta working, it's very unusual. Typically what happens is that companies raise their valuation so much that it's very hard for them to exit at a value that the uh, like the latest investors are happy with or so they are not happy or the acquirer is not happy because the valuations are extremely high. So I felt like, you know, that was a perfect time in a way because every, the trifecta was happy. And then I knew myself very well as a person that I'm a person who likes to, you know, um, like uh, live my life in phases, like go very deep into something and really like uh, go into the nuts and bolts of it. And then once I've learned everything I can, contributed everything I can, I like to, you know, not repeat the same thing, but learn something new altogether. And I knew that there would be a phase of time when, uh, like, you know, I have a lot of conviction in everything I do, whether that was discovery or startup or writing, but I like, uh, you know, just go very deep into something and then go into something else altogether. So I knew myself well enough to know that, look, uh, uh, you know, it was time for me to like, you know, to like, uh, like go into something new after I'd like really gone very deep into it and worked very 24-7 for many years trying to get it right here. So given that you know yourself very well, I mean, where do you see yourself in India at 2047? India at 27, I, I feel uh, 
now i'm being very called to public service because if i think of the first 20 years of my career they were very focused on um, i would say personal growth personal endeavors really becoming the best version of myself i think uh, i feel a sense of stability now and feeling like a sense of personal stability and growth and now want to contribute very actively to the public sector and and i'm kind of just figuring out what would be the best channel to do that right now oh i think i think you know success to significance is 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 another concept you know that we see a lot of young people you know once they have achieved something it's an inflection point that comes in many people's lives yes you know i'm sure in your case it comes it's come multiple times in different shapes and forms but no uh, if it's a distinct one because i think in the past all the sabbaticals everything was uh like a like you know just a, in in like an exercise in fully exercising my personal potential obviously always with a sense of impact and how that would be a positive move for the world whether i was writing my novels or, or like the startup i was always thinking about how it could have a positive impact versus just becoming a financial exercise uh, but now i think i just want to kind of devote my life to more selfless service altogether you know yeah Oh, and I think the world will truly benefit, you know, from that. And as you get into that phase of of your life, what's your dream for India, right? So you know, India at hundred will not just happen overnight, right? We'll no. we'll see progress from India at seventy five, India at eighty, India at eighty five. We'll reevaluate, you know, priorities change. You saw what happened with the pandemic. You know, even even the vision, you know, that has been carried forth, you know, has gone through, you know, tremendous. you know change because you know people just going back to rural there was a lot of focus around you know building skills clusters affordability of housing and you know sustainable energy to to grow economic you know livelihoods and and manufacturing to now really building rural india back right given that people many have moved back you're not sure how things will shape up so different you know points of course external factors will change you know the course of what becomes a priority for india but what's your dream for it my dream for india is that i uh, if i were to keep i would to personalize it a lot um, when i was doing the startup i when i was doing white junior it really struck me that there are 20 million households out of 250 million households in india who make more than 10 lakhs an annum right and and all of the indian internet industry the startup industry is targeting these 20 million households and the remaining 230 or 240 million households uh the only way for them to uh, like india is uh, the strength of all of the startups and the strength of all of the investments coming into india is only as strong as those 250 million households and if they don't if we don't create an ecosystem for them to rise at the same rate as the top 20 million households uh, we are like it's a like everything that we are talking about like the growth of india the promise of india is hollow right and i think that that really struck me that like the only way to really solve the problem is exactly like with the initiatives that you guys are like uh, like you know initiatives like you guys are doing and that's why i think our top talent being pulled towards lifting these 250 million house or 230 million households versus figuring out how to best market or extract value from the 20 million households is where i see like uh, like where where i would see like you know like other top talent of the country working on that uh, area i think this country is very talented i think people are very talented i think the kind of uh, like you know like the talent we produce every year is incredible and i think if they are all focused very singularly and if the public policy system which looks like the government and you know is doing so well at uh, 
is allowing the top talent to work towards these 230 million households i think we'll look we'll be a very different india but if we continue to focus if our top talent continues to focus on how to extract the best value from the 20 million households it'll be a very hollow india you know so so i think uh, like my personal energy would be now targeted uh, towards like the 250 million households and the next 230 million households and i hope more and more people make that choice and create a like create a world which is uh, which looks very different 25 years from now yeah there's definitely a lot of synergy around the thought process for indian seven you know one of the inspiration for india at 75 was ck prada who always talked of the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid correct correct and, and he said the best way to make them consumers is make them producers first it yeah. enable them to earn a livelihood and then they will come into the consumption economy and i think the effort to be able to to create that opportunity definitely exists in india i think it's a it's a very strong way to to grow and scale you know a lot of the initiatives you know and efforts but you know as we work towards that if i were to take arts queue what should we do in the next say 6 months right so august 2022 is our amrit mahotsav so we get it to 20 i'm just saying right your recommendation maybe to business industry policy makers right where is india priority today what should it be right? maybe for the next 4 months 6 months 8 months what i'm trying to say i know you're a long term guy but you know also the the, the short term you know where can operational efficiency execution be improved and enhanced in the short term to obviously strengthen us for the long term it's a very good question when i have like done my own modeling around this i think uh, for me it keeps going back to whoever innovates captures the value stream of the world so for example when apple creates an iphone even though the iphone is produced in china or the parts are produced in india etc the value stream is going to silicon valley uh, right uh, like 50% of the profits or 70% of the profits go to silicon valley every time anybody takes an uber all around the world like you know in a way like silicon valley is like the roman empire all over the world uh, silicon valley is taxing every movement is going back to silicon valley till the time the us has that advantage obviously has silicon valley obviously they'll continue to capture the value stream of the whole world's income so if i think of india i would say uh, figuring out clusters in manufacturing for example where we can create like you know we have the natural advantage of a large labor pool figuring out like clusters in manufacturing where we can create the most innovative manufacturing especially now given the fact that people would love to move from china to india their manufacturing basis for example uh or, or, or like you know like like if i look at like pockets of innovation where we can capture the value stream of the whole world uh that would give the like i would say the 10x boost right versus like the internal movement of the economy obviously the internal movement of us selling goods to the like you know creating goods selling it to our own population but actually creating these uh, like you know truly uh, world class innovation hubs and that's very easy to create it's not hard right if we pick up two or three industries and create manufacturing hubs which are the best in the world uh, by kind of like doubling down focusing on that putting our best talent on it we'll capture the whole value stream of the world's manufacturing innovation and get inflow to come to india for example i would say like stuff like that is very like in our hands to do but i would say the general theme is how do you become the value stream of the the innovation how do you create the even if you can't create the iphones and stuff because the silicon valley advantage is very high and that is a long term plan you can create it at the kind of the farer end of the value chain right uh, which is what china has done for example with ai and robotics in certain industries and we could do exactly that 
No, you know, because the innovation, when it happens more from an Indian context, right, the non-negotiables are different. It is scalability, it is price performance, you know, affordability, you know, within which you innovate. But when you innovate for the world, you know, because you talked about going to the US first, I think it's a different. So many a times, you know, even entrepreneurs in India are kind of caught between these two, you know, challenges, right? So we say we can solve an India problem, but there's only so much value that we've created. We solve a global problem. Somewhere we have different types of people. Yeah, coming. and both yeah, both have their roles, but yeah. I think more and more entrepreneurs should have the confidence that the world is more similar than dissimilar and their solutions can be global. That was the confidence because of my own background I had early, which helped my own entrepreneurship thesis. And if I look at just one entrepreneurship journey, right? If Vita Junior was acquired for $300 million, a bunch of that acquisition came from outside the country. You know, investors outside the country bought me and I paid incredible taxes to the government for that deal. And I think we, that's what we have to do, right? If we are like, you know, the, uh, like, you know, like that's how like we are creating value within the country. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, you know, different, different people will contribute differently. And, you know, probably that's the last question. We run 45 minutes. I don't know. We can continue for another hour. But, you know, it's, 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 it's on this pitch, right? You know, when we talk of, you know, participative governance, right, this change to India at 100 is not going to happen with just one set of stakeholders, you know, kind of driving that change, right? Different people come in differently. One of the things we've done strongly with India at 75, CII has led, and even the government has, you know, been very strongly supportive of the current government through the MyGov platform and others, is to see how citizens can participate uh, more. So, you know, you give time, you give skills, you give money, you know, maybe small ticket, right? You know, how quick one thought around how do you see participative governance? Any thoughts around, you know, what should that model kind of look like for a country like India? Uh, you know, particularly if you want to see accelerated change, you know, as we get to India, for those 230 million households. Yeah. Yeah. I think a tech can play a very big role in um, like technology and technology networks can play a very, very big role in uh, participative governance. And I think it's a very underleveraged area. Uh, like it's a it's a very interesting area on how community can be involved in participation. And I think uh, like entrepreneurs taking a crack at that would be very interesting because uh, like you know this is a country of opinions and being able to harness that opinions into a, a like into a structured format is a very easy te- like a very easy but meaningful tech problem to you to solve. No, great. I think, you know, and I think the pro bono participation of people from corporate India coming in, all of us doing it together. And I'm going to definitely take you on, you know, as you're committing the next phase of your life to to helping shape that the 230 million, uh, you know, household is really what I think as an industry platform, as multiple stakeholders, we are trying to do and would love to, you know, engage with you, see how, you know, we can really pick the right priorities, you know, see great execution happen in some areas, enable that to happen at scale. So I think collaborating in different shapes and forms, you know, is, is really the only way to make that happen in an accelerated manner. So it's just been lovely. It's been a joy, uh, you know, current chatting with you. And, and as I said, we couldn't cover many of the other topics with thinking behind books and many other stuff, but we'll leave that for another day. But thank you, you know, for sharing your dream for India and where we can uh, go from here on. Enjoy the rest of your time in Costa Rica. Thank you very much. And I'll see you soon. To to take on the next challenge. We'll be back in India soon and look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. This was Karan Bajaj, founder of White Hat Junior. 
in an insightful conversation with host Rajan Navani, where he shared his vision for India at 100. Thank you all for tuning into the I Have a Dream podcast. Stay tuned for more conversations where we explore what India has overcome and what India can do to become a strong leader as we enter a golden period.